principle of that. Colossians 3, if you found that and you're so able, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, Colossians 3, verse 22 through 25 this morning. Uh, Let's read responsively. I'll begin in 22. We'll begin together in verse 23. The Bible says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God together. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respecter of persons. Now, uh, our theme this year is a heart for God, a heart for God. And I hope that throughout the year, the preaching from this pulpit has pushed you closer, encouraged you to have a, a greater heart for God, just as David did. Uh, we have said that you cannot have a heart for God unless you are both walking with God and working for God. When we walk with God and we don't work for God, we rust out. When we work for God and we don't walk for God, we burn out. We must do both. We must walk with God and then we must do the work that God has put in front of us. You cannot claim to have a heart for God if you're not both walking with God, uh, in daily devotions, reading your Bible, prayer, uh, uh, spending time with Him, communing with Him throughout the day. You cannot have a heart for God if you're not doing the work of God. Our sermons this year are all themed under those two topics, walking with God and working for God. This will be our second series this morning, uh, beginning uh, my work for God. Last time we focused on the Lord's compassion. Because of His love for us, because of His love for us, we are to work for Him. He died for you and me, and now uh, He expects you and me to live and work for Him. Now we turn our attention uh, to Christ's com- uh, from Christ's compassion to us, to Christ's calling on us. Christ has a calling on all of us here today. And um, uh, as we look at this title, My Ministry at Work, My Ministry at Work, we're going to talk about the Christian's role in the workplace, on the job site. And uh, we're going to look at that in great detail this morning. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we uh, turn our heart and mind and attention toward uh, your word and how practical it is with this area of our employment. Lord, whether we work at a church or we work in a factory, we work a white-collar job, a blue-collar job, whether we work with our hands or our head, Lord, all of us are to be Christians on the work site. All of us are to represent you well. And so, Lord, as we take this topic this morning and look at your calling at work, Lord, may we understand the truths. May we be motivated to go forth and live these truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A missionary from India told about an army officer who stopped to have his shoes shined by a poor Indian boy on the street. The lad launched into his task with such enthusiasm and vigor that the man was utterly amazed. You see, he had had his shoes shined by little boys on the street before, but never quite like this ordinarily slipshod performance uh, uh, with an all-too-eagerly outstretched hand for not only payment, but a tip. The boy, This boy, however, worked diligently until the army officer's leather sparkled with a brilliant luster. The officer asked, 
Young man, why are you taking so much time to polish my boots? Listen to what he said. He said, well, sir, last week Jesus came into my heart, and now I belong to him. Since then, every time I shine someone's shoes, I keep thinking they're the Lord's shoes. So I do the very best I can. I want my Jesus to be pleased. Is the diligence this small, uh, this small boy demonstrated true of what you do as well? Are you willing to go so far as to shine shoes to the glory of God and please the one who died in your place? Because of what Christ has done for you and me, how can we do less than diligently give Him our best? And that includes in the workplace. Uh, my proposal this morning is that whether you collect your paycheck from a church, a mission board, a factory, a school, a, 500 fortune, a Fortune 500 company, or you're even self-employed, God has called you to do His work at your place of employment. Because of what Christ has done for you and me, how can we uh, do less than diligently give Him our very best? Uh, I, I, uh, I, I want us to look at three main thoughts this morning as we consider this title, My Ministry at Work. Get those bulletins out. Get your pens ready on the back of there. You can fill in the blank as we go. Here we go. Point number one, notice the Christian's example. The Christian's example. Let's take our Bibles all the way back to Genesis chapter number one. Genesis 1. The book of Genesis comes after the concordance in your Bible. Amen? In case you didn't know that. Turn all the way to the front. There's the book of Genesis. The word Genesis means beginnings. Alright? This is where the world came. Let me just state up front. I take the uh, Genesis account of how we got here literally. I don't take it figuratively. I believe that God created the world in six literal days. I believe in a young earth. And I'm not just uh, stating this haphazardly. I have taken the time to study it and understand it. And I believe that God created the heavens and the earth just as the Bible says. Look at the very first verse of the Bible and we see our God... At work, our God at work. Look at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness He called night. And the evening and the morning we're the first day. If there's any question about uh, whether a day represents a larger time span than 24 hours, God is crystal clear here that the first day was constituted of the evening and the morning. We know that the Jewish calendar begins by their day begins in the evening and then rolls through in the morning. Instead of starting at midnight, there starts at something like 5 or 6 p.m. And the evening and the morning were the first day. This pattern is repeated. The evening and the morning were the second day. Uh, the name for God used in verse 1 is the Hebrew word Elohim, which means the Almighty One. The Almighty One. Uh, God stepped out on nothing and went to work. He got busy. Now, um, in, uh, in six days, He put together 
the beautiful world that we enjoy today. Now, I want you to stop and think about something that maybe you've never thought about before. And if you've never thought about this, this will just blow you away. This is, this is a marvelous thought, something that the first time was explained to me, put a big smile on my face, and had me thinking about it as I went to bed many, many, many nights. Do you know that before God ever created anything in Genesis 1, uh, He first had to create time, space, and matter. Time, space, and matter. You see, for the evolutionary process to be true, as it's taught in our school systems, for that to be true, there is, there is an assumption that time, space, and matter all came into existence somehow at the same time. Now watch this. Uh, if you have uh, time and you have space, but you don't have matter, then you have the when and you have the where, but you don't have the what. So time is when he put his creation. Space is where he put his creation. And matter is what he put in his creation. So for evolution to be true, you must believe that all three of these things magically came into existence at the exact same time. You see, if you have, uh, let, me, let me just read it as I have it written here, because otherwise it's going to get really confusing for me, all right? If you have space and matter but no time, when do you put it? If you have time and matter but, not, but you don't have space, where do you put it? If you have time and space but no matter, what do you put? You understand the complexity of this. God exists outside of time. He's ageless. God exists outside of space. He's always been. He created space. And God exists outside of matter. He also exists inside of time. He exists inside of space. He exists inside of matter. But He exists outside of all things. Someone said, who created the Creator? And the answer is, no one created the Creator. He's always been. He's ageless. You say, well, I can't comprehend that. And I am glad that God is not so little that I can just stick Him in my pocket. I am glad that God is so infinite that He breaks the faculties of my finite brain. I am glad that God is bigger and greater than I can ever begin to understand. You see, if I could wrap my mind all the way around the being and existence of God, then He wouldn't be God. God took creation and in six days He made a masterpiece. Now, I want to show you something here about creation uh, that uh, is also fascinating. God created the spaces in which to work the first three days, and then He filled those spaces the next three days. So, on day one, He created light and darkness. On day two, He created the seas and the sky. On day three, He created dry land. Now, those are the three spaces. Then he went back on day four with the light and darkness and he filled those spaces. On day four, he made the sun, moon, and the stars to fill the light and the darkness. On day five, he gave us the birds and the fish to fill the seas and the sky. And on day six, God stepped in and he made animals and he made man and woman. He gave us a uh, Things to fill the dry land. You see how God's at work here. He's laboring. He's putting in the work. How long did it take God to do all this? Did He just announce what He wanted first thing in the morning and then take the rest of the day off? 
Well, that's possible, but in my opinion, I don't think that's quite how it worked. Let me show you a couple of passages that would seem to indicate that God did not just speak these things to existence in 30 seconds and then take the rest of the day off. Go over to Psalm chapter 19 and verse number 1. Psalm 19 and look at verse number 1. Now, we're given categorically what God did on each of those days. And it would be like me taking what you're going to do at work tomorrow and summing it up in a phrase. And you'd say, well, this is what you did on Monday at work. Okay, but that took you eight hours to get it done. I can sum it up in five seconds, but it took you eight hours to get that task or those series of tasks done. Look at Psalm 19 and look at verse number one. The Bible says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth, look here, what are those next two words? His handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth His handiwork. You see, God spoke these things into existence, and then with His hands, He put things in place. God declared in Isaiah 45, verse 12, listen, He said, I have made the earth a created man upon it. Listen here, I Even my hands have stretched out the heavens, and all their hosts have I commanded. I look up at stars in the sky that are three or four light years, three or four billion light years away. And I wonder if the earth is only a few thousand years old, how am I able to see a light that is billions of light years away? And the answer is a really fascinating one. God created these things close to the earth, and then with His hands, He stretched them out away from the earth. The Bible tells us God measures the universe with a span. That's the distance from your thumb to your pinky. God can reach down to our universe like this and measure it just like that. That's how big He is. He created all these things and He pulled them out. And as He did, He left the light trail behind and we can see these stars even though they're billions of light years away. Listen to what Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 12 says. It says, He hath made the earth, listen here, by His power. He hath established the world by His wisdom and has stretched out the heavens by His discretion. God used His might, His wisdom, and His discretion in those six days to create everything that we see and enjoy in this on this planet, in this creation. The Bible tells us that He spoke these things into existence. I believe that He used His hands and rearranged things and perfected things and placed them right where He wanted them. It is a, it is a, a painter who stands over his blank canvas and takes that paintbrush and marvelously puts a painting together. And as it nears completion, people are watching it. How many remember Bob Ross from back in the 80s? You used to watch Bob Ross? He was so soft-spoken and he had the, the frilly hair and he had the paintbrush. And I'd sit there as a little kid and I was just, wow. How does he do that? That is amazing, right? And, and, and he'd paint a little fluffy cloud in the sky over here. And, and rolling, and, and is that pretty close to how? And, and, uh, he'd get, and he'd get done and you'd think, that's amazing! And then he'd look at it and pick up his paintbrush and he would perfect a little something over here and perfect a little something over here. I believe God got done each day and he went back and he just perfected little things here and there. I have mentioned how that I sit uh, outside sometimes when I pray and I'll see a, a bird so gracefully flying through the sky. That's God's creation. And then I see an aerpl- a clunky airplane through the sky. And I say, what God did in one day 
right? That's day, what, day five with those birds. It took man thousands of years to figure out how to create a clunky version of an airplane, right? I'll sit and talk with someone and they just amaze me with the, what they know and what they can share. Sometimes I'll open up the Guinness Book of World Records and I'll see the crazy things that people are able to do, right? How many marshmallows someone can stick in their mouth or how many plates someone can stack on their head or how long someone can grow their fingernails. And I look at the crazy things that people can do and, and I'm amazed at how what it's taking humanity thousands of years to create in computers God made with His hands on day six when He created man and woman. And and, and what man uh, attempts to do is nowhere close to what God did with His power and His wisdom and His discretion. Go back to Genesis chapter number one with me. You see, these were six literal days. Again, the Bible says the evening and the morning were the first day. Jewish days again begin in the evening and then they're followed by the morning. A neat little biblical tidbit for you. Um, the day of the Lord that's described in the Old Testament prophets in the New Testament, or rather the Old Testament major minor prophets, the day of the Lord gets kicked off with the seven year tribulation where it's dark on the earth followed by the sun raising on the reign of Christ for a thousand years. That day of the Lord begins with darkness and ends with light, just as the Jewish day begins with darkness and ends with light. Uh, Jesus died there uh, in darkness in the evening, and then He arose in the morning. And you have uh, the idea of the day and the night being one physical day. Genesis chapter 1 verse 10, Genesis chapter 1 verse 12, Genesis chapter 1 verse 18, verse 21 and verse 25 all have this phrase in it. At the end of each day of creation, God looked at his work that he had done as he was clocking out for the day. And the Bible says, and God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God got down to the end of his work day and he looked at the work he had done and he says, it was good. It was good. I am pleased with my work. Look at Genesis 1 verse 26. Here we find the Trinity of God in the Bible, a singular God that is plural. Look here. And God, singular, said, let us, that's a plural pronoun, let us make man in our, again, another plural pronoun, in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and Female created he them, and God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I uh, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth and every tree in that which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. Look at verse 31. Let's read it together. Here we go. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And the Bible says that God looked down after he created man and woman, and he didn't just say it was good. He said it was very good. It was very good. You know what God did on the seventh day? He rested. He rested. Um, now, 
this teaches us the principle of rest. Watch this now. You cannot rest until you have worked. Lazy people cannot rest. Because lazy people have not earned the right to rest. God labored for six days, and then on the seventh day, He set the precedent of resting once a week. Now, we live in a culture of, uh, of people who are quite lazy, but not everyone is lazy. If you happen to be a workaholic, if you know you're a workaholic or if you're in denial about being a workaholic, I still want you to look up here. Okay? Resting is a biblical command. Don't disobey God's word by working nonstop. You need to learn how to unplug and rest. And by the way, that doesn't just mean sitting on the couch in shorts and t-shirt and watching sports. That involves you getting in the Bible and resting in the Lord. That involves you getting on your knees and laying your cares on Him and resting in the Lord. Learn how to rest. The purpose of the sermon tonight is not to focus on rest. That's a sidebar. But boy, for some of you this morning, that might be exactly what you needed to hear at church. Where do we learn how to work? Well, we learn from our example. The Christian's example is Elohim. It is our almighty God. He is the one who teaches us how to work. The Christian's example, uh, number two, notice the Christian's expectation. The Christian's expectation. Take your Bibles over to Psalm 128 and verse number one. Psalm 128. By the way, while you're turning there, you parents, it's summertime. Don't let your kids sit around the house doing nothing. Don't let them stay up playing video games till 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning and then let them sleep till 11 o'clock in the morning. Get them out of bed. Give them some chores. Get them to work. Uh, in our home this year, we implemented a new system four hours a day where they're doing something productive uh, in the areas of favor with God, favor with man, physical growth, um, academic growth, four hours a day. They're doing something productive. And then after that, if they want to play a video game or watch TV, I'm okay with that, all right? But they're doing things that are productive. Moms and dads, listen, 18-year-olds in World War II went and kept you and I free today. 18-year-olds in today's era don't hardly know how to go to the bathroom without mom looking over their shoulder. That's why we got a bunch of 30-somethings living in mom's basement not knowing how to do anything with themselves. Raise your kids that when they turn 18 or 21, they're ready to live life without you. Amen? Put them to work this summer. Teenagers are hating me right now. Amen? That's exactly what they, it's exactly what they need. All right? Laziness is part of the simple one. All right? And so be a wise parent. Get them to work. All right? Uh, the Christian's expectation. Look at Psalm 128. Look at verse 1. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord. And we're told how to fear the Lord. Look here. That walketh in His ways. Now hold on. Before we read verse 2, what did we just read about our example with work? We saw that for six days, the Lord worked very hard to give us what we have. Now look at verse 2. We're walking in His ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be and it shall be well with thee. God made humanity to go to work, not sit around and be lazy. You show me a man who doesn't have a job, I'll show you a man who has lost his way in life. He doesn't have a purpose to live. God created the man to work. 
Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11 says, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be dismissed, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. Quit looking for the latest get-rich-quick scheme and get yourself to work and work hard by the sweat of your brow, earn an honest living, and, uh, and, and cherish that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 says, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, that we, may, that we be accepted of Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done. There's work. Whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. So God has commanded us to work. One day we're going to give an account to God for how hard we've worked and, and, and the diligence, the, the effort that we put forth in our workplace. God expects the Christian to labor. We should be as busy as bees. As busy as bees, all of my subpoint begin with the word B. All right, here we go. Letter A. Notice, be diligent. Be diligent. That means work hard. Don't be lazy. Cover all your bases. Be thorough. Look at, uh, let me read for you Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. If you have a bulletin there, you can see the next passage I'm heading to. Uh, feel free to get over there to it before I read it. Uh, if you want to follow along with me, I'm not going to wait for everybody to turn this morning. We got a late jump with the message, and so we want to try to get out of here at the same time. The Bible says, Whether, uh, where, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Do it with all thy might. Hey, mom and dad, do not let the phrase, that's good enough, exist in your home. That isn't good enough. If it's not done to the best, then it isn't good enough. We're not doing enough to get by. We're doing our best. Because less than our best is a sin. Less than our best is a sin. Hey, mom and dad, that goes for you at work. That goes for you at the workplace. Not with eye service, as we read in Colossians 3 a few minutes ago. Not with eye service as men pleasers. We're not just doing enough to get by. We're doing enough knowing that it pleases the Lord. When I was in Bible college, and everyone thinks that Bible college kids just sit around and read the Bible all the time, and they're holy, but um, many of the kids that I went to Bible college with were, were quite carnal and struggled with sin. Many of them didn't make it through college. and They were kicked out, unfortunately, or they left. And one uh, group of kids who had a rebellious heart, they were given a paper, an assignment to write a 10-page paper their freshman year. And so they wrote a thorough 10-page paper. And then knowing that the professors were all overworked and too busy to read every word of every paper, they would then, the following years, they would take the first two pages and the last two pages and make it match what it should say, and they would take the middle pages and every single paper they wrote had the same middle pages because they were not being diligent. They were skirting around the rules. They were only doing what it took to get by. They were not being diligent. And listen, if we're not careful at work, you can be sitting in your cubicle being paid to play Candy Crush instead of the work you were given. If we're not careful at work, uh, we're taking five minutes longer on our lunch break than we were supposed to. We're not careful at work. Uh, we're uh, leaning on everyone else to carry us through the day. We're not being diligent. And uh, if folks know that you're a Christian and you're not doing your very best, my friend, you're letting the Lord down. 
Now, when you're diligent, you give glory. Uh, you give God glory when you do your best. You represent the Lord Jesus, therefore you do your best. You serve the Lord and not men, so uh, so you do your best. You provide a living model of your risen Savior while you do your best, and you provide for your family as you do your best. Number uh, letter A: Be diligent. Busy is B's letter B. Notice: Be a servant. Be a servant. First Timothy chapter six verse one says, "Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed." And I know we don't call employers masters and employees servants, but we can read that within that context of the employer-employee in our Western model. Let as many employees as are under the yoke count their own employers worthy of all honor, that that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. Here are a few suggestions for becoming a servant at work. Go with a servant's attitude. Don't go there expecting everyone to serve you. You go into work looking to serve everyone at that place of employment. Go with the purpose of promoting others. Go with the attitude of praising others. Go with the heart to encourage others. Go to ask uh, uh, not tell people what to do. Go to give of yourself, not take for yourself. Be a servant. Letter C, be a learner. Be a learner. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now here, Paul is telling his preacher boy Timothy, he's saying you need to make sure that you study. You study. Now, uh, study to show yourself approved. Put in the work to learn how to do your, your job as a pastor, as a minister, as an elder, so that you are not, God is not ashamed of you. You're rightly dividing the word of truth. Now listen, if it's important for the pastor to work hard and not be lazy and to study and to hold himself accountable to a high standard, it is important for you to do the same thing at your place of employment. I haven't always been a pastor. Back in 2013, I was hired at Max Finkelstein Incorporated up in uh, South Windsor. I was hired by uh, them to, do, to deliver tires. And so I worked the tire warehouse, and then I'd load them onto my truck, and I would drive all over the place, everywhere from Boston uh, as far out as Clinton, uh, Connecticut, all over the Bridgeport, Stratford area, up into the valley. I, I delivered out in Waterbury. Sometimes they'd have me make runs out to New York City and, and do a truck swap with another uh, a, a plant out there. And, and so I, I worked there, and you know what? I made it known right off the bat that I was a Christian. Right off the bat, I let people know that I was a Christian. Why did I do that? Because I wanted them holding me accountable. I wanted them to hold me accountable. Not only did I tell them I was a Christian, I had this luxury. Not everyone here has this luxury. I had been ordained in the church ministry when I took on that job. And so I told them that I was an ordained pastor. And so all these guys at work started calling me pastor. Pastor. I walk around. Hey, pastor, come over here and help me with this. Hey, pastor, take this load down there. And so I get called pastor here. I was called pastor there. And you know what I, I sought to do? I sought to be the very, very, very best at my job. I sought to do my job in a way that was above board. One of my many experiences with that job, I've, not, I've shared this casually with a handful of people. I've not shared this in church. Uh, there is a tire uh, company in Bridgeport. I won't say which one because... 
that's irrelevant, and I don't know how ethical it would be to share the name of the place. But there was a tire company in Bridgeport I delivered to, and uh, they fell behind on their account. And so it was a cash-on delivery uh, type system, and I would deliver, and they would have to give me cash where I gave them the tires. And so they were a good ten to $12,000 behind on their account. I walked in one day in a rough part of Bridgeport and uh, with the tires, and the owner pulls out a sack of cash and sets it on the counter with a room full of people, and he dumps out the sack of cash, and he counts out something like $12,000 in $100 bills in front of everybody. He collects it all back together, he puts it in the bag, and he goes, consider my account settled. And I looked around, and everyone's staring at me, and I've got $12,000 in cash in my hand. And I turned around and walked out, and I ran full speed to my vehicle, and I ran red lights, I ran stop signs, I drove in circles, I did everything I could to make sure no one was trailing me. I turned white as a ghost, and I got back to a headquarters, and I handed that cash over, and I said, that guy is crazy. Um, that guy is crazy. And uh, I had a lot of, that's just one, I had lots of crazy stories from uh, my time there. But you know what I did? I did my best to learn everything I could about tires. I learned everything I could about their system. I did everything I could to learn how to be my very best in that workplace. No, I wasn't writing sermons. No, I wasn't uh, counseling broken marriages. No, I wasn't uh, visiting hospitals. No, I wasn't doing the work of a minister. But that was the work God had called me to. And I was going to do it to the honor and glory of God. Learning is a state of mind. Learning is an attitude. Learning is progressive. It builds upon itself. Learning is not dependent on your IQ. Learning does not distinguish between nationalities. Learning does not require a formal classroom education. Learning does not always offer a degree. Learning does not require a degree. Learning is commanded in the Bible. Second Peter 3.18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge, the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Learning is a man after God's own Heart's way of life. Learning is a state of mind. It is an attitude. Here are ways you can learn. All right? Learn to read. Amen? Learn to read. Reading is a lost art in 2022. We like to look at pictures. We like to read short articles. We love eye candy. Instead of learning to read a full book, learn to read. Learn to ask questions. Learn from the experiences of others. Learn to stretch yourself. To ensure you continue to learn, uh, take this self-examination every day. Ask yourself, what new things can I learn today? Ask yourself, what can I learn from, or rather, who can I learn from today? Ask yourself, how can I be stretched in some aspect of my job or life today? Ask yourself, is there some type of training I need for my present job in preparation for the next one. So be diligent, be a servant, be a learner. Letter D, be content. Be content. Ooh, this is a big one. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, let your conversation be without covetousness. That means your lifestyle. Let your lifestyle be without covetousness. Be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Be content at work. A lot of people become measly mouthed because they didn't get 
the promotion. They didn't get the raise. They didn't get treated a certain way. They didn't get employee of the month. They didn't get that special parking spot, right, that says employee of the month. Uh, they weren't honored for many years of service, and uh, they're, they're, it usually comes down to money. They feel undercompensated, and they gripe and gripe and gripe and gripe. I read one time in a book, uh, someone wrote, they said, he who looks for quitting time and payday is a poor employee. Who who looks for quitting time and payday is a poor employee. Hey, quit watching the clock. Oh, get off at 4, 3.45, 3.46. You know when you watch the clock, it moves a lot slower. Are you aware of that? You know that's how that works? Some of you do that at school, don't you? You keep looking up at the clock. School lets out at 3.15, and man, that last 15 minutes takes forever because you keep looking at the clock. You just quit looking at the clock and you do your job. You turn around and you don't have to worry about that. He who looks for quitting time and payday is going to be a poor poor employee. Be content. Ask yourself these these questions. Why am I here in this job? If If you sense your job is God's calling, you will see your job as a ministry and your work as a living sacrifice holy, acceptable, and pleasing to God. Uh, Ask this question, for whom am I working? Are you working for God or for men? When you serve God, you are free to serve others, no matter how unreasonable or thankless those people are. Because you're not working for them, you're working for God. God is your ultimate employer and He's going to hold you to a higher standard. What am I working for? Are you working for money? Are you working for prestige? Are you working for power? If you're working for any of these, you will never, ever, 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 ever be content. You're working for money, power, prestige. You're you're never going to get enough. You've heard the old adage about Rockefeller. The, the rich mogul who died asked on his deathbed, what, if you could have one more thing, Mr. Rockefeller, what would it be? His answer was, one more dollar. One more dollar. If you're looking for money, you're never going to be content because there's always more out there. If you're looking for power and prestige, there's never going to quite satisfy uh, your thirst for more. But if you can truly say, at my place of employment, I am working for the glory and the will of God, then, my friend, you can learn to be content at work. What are we asking ourselves about contentment? With whom am I working? Listen to this. Every person at your workplace is an eternal soul. Each one will spend eternity in either the presence of God or in hell. Each one. You should be aware of every person at work and take every opportunity to model and testify to the reality of Jesus Christ through your life. Just think, you may end up being the only Bible-believing, gospel-preaching Christian some unbeliever will ever know. Make those people around you your mission field. Make them your mission field. You see, if you go to work and you're focused on those things that disgruntled you, then you're going to be disgruntled. If you go to work and you're focused on the people that you work with and you're burdened over their souls and you care about reaching them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then there's that spiritual challenge constantly in front of you. As we look at this concept of being content, ask this question, where am I working? It is no accident that you work where you do. Ask God to open your eyes to the significance of the place where you are employed. What does God want to accomplish through you in that place. Why you work? 
to please God. Whom you work for, you work for God. What are you working for? You're working for God's glory. Um, uh, 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 whom are you working with? You are working with potential members of the kingdom of God. Uh, where are you working? You're working in the center of God's will. Be diligent. Be a servant. Be a learner. Be content. content. One more here. Letter E. Be excellent. Be excellent. I am going to have everybody turn over here. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 19. We find Daniel, he's taken captive from his homeland uh, uh, to Babylon. And he's taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel is put in a room with a whole bunch of other people who are supposed to be exceptional. Uh, the cream of the crop, if you will, of the school age children from uh, Israel. And Daniel is going to rise to the top of even this group who had risen to the top. And so these young men are prepped and prepared as they're going in to see uh, the king and King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, the king questions them. Look at Daniel 1. Look at verse 19. And the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah. You may know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. Look at verse 20 here. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, look here, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even into the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel would live through three different kingdoms and serve three separate kings. When it comes to your work, whether you are an author, uh, whether you are a teacher, whether you are uh, a maintenance man, whether you are self-employed, whether you work for someone or people work for you, you should give it your all. There's a famous preacher named Chuck Swindoll. I don't endorse everything about Chuck Swindoll, but I found this to be very interesting. Chuck Swindoll speaks of building a platform that rests on six pillars of excellence. Here are the pillars. Write these down. Integrity, faithfulness, punctuality, quality workmanship, a pleasant attitude, and enthusiasm. Let me repeat those again. Integrity, faithfulness, punctuality, quality workmanship, a pleasant attitude, and enthusiasm. One more time for those of you that write slow. Integrity, faithfulness, punctuality, quality workmanship, a pleasant attitude, and enthusiasm. Here's how Dr. Swindoll wrapped up his words about these six pillars of excellence. He said, hire such a person and it will only be a matter of time before business will improve. People will be impressed, listen to this now, and Christianity will begin to seem important again. And Christianity, you see, when you attach excellence to Christianity, your boss is going to want to hire more Christians. I'm afraid that oftentimes we tell everyone at work we're a Christian, and then they look at our work ethic and they see our attitude, and they see our struggle. They see us calling out of work or showing up late or taking advantage of a system, and they say, well, if that's how Christians work, I don't really care to hire Christians. Boy, be that shining light at work where people say, 
He has a Judeo-Christian ethos about his work ethic. He has a Christian Judeo uh, uh, ethos about his schoolwork. Or she is one who behaves by a Christian uh, worldview. I want more students like her. I want more employees like her or him. Uh, uh, Jim George once said, you have a choice between two attitudes as you go to work. You can go with an attitude of taking from your work uh, whatever is needed for your own well-being. This attitude perceives the organization uh, and its people as being there to serve you. Or you can go to work with the attitude that says, what can I, uh, what can I do uh, to put this organization on... Uh, what, what, rather, let me, re- let me read this. I want to get it right. What can, uh, what can I put into this organization or job? What can I put here? I'm here to give... I'm not here to take. The Christian's example, the Christian's expectation. Lastly, notice here, the Christ we edify. Go back to Colossians 3 with me in verse 22. Servants, the Bible says, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers. Not only when the boss is looking over your shoulder. Not only to please a man. But in singleness of heart, notice these next two words, fearing God. That's why we do work. We're fearing God. Look here at 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ. Ye serve. Serve the Lord Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. William Nix made this statement. He said, your life can be marked by ministry. Be intentional, intentional about trying to transform your workplace for Christ. When you honor God by capturing your workplace for Christ, three things will happen. You will experience fulfillment you have never known before. Your co-workers will be drawn to you. Your relationship with God will grow to an exciting new level. I finish with this. It is a contrast between someone who takes on a winner's attitude versus a loser's attitude. A winner uh, respects those who are superior to him and tries to learn something from them. A loser resents those who are superior and rationalizes their own achievements. A winner explains, a loser explains away. A winner says, let's find a way. A loser says, there is no way. A winner goes through a problem, a loser tries to go around the problem. A winner says, there should, there, there should be a better way to do it, let's find it. A loser says, That's the way it's always been done here. We're not going to change things. A winner says he's sorry uh, by making up for it. Uh, A loser says, I'm sorry, but does the same thing the next time and doesn't change. A winner knows uh, what to fight for and what to uh, compromise on. A loser compromises on what he shouldn't and fights for what isn't worth fighting about. A worker works harder than a loser and has more time. A loser is always too busy to do what is necessary. A winner is not afraid of losing. A loser is secretly afraid of winning. A winner makes commitments. 
A loser only makes promises. Whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do it with all thy might. Whether you work at a church, an office, a factory, a construction site, whether you are an employer or an employee, the world is watching you, Christian. May you work within your calling for the glory and honor of God. Listen up. Listen up. If you work eight hours a day, then one-third of every day of your life is spent at work. We can't just be a Christian outside of work. We have to be a Christian at work. Some of you in here, you're single, you're not, not, some of you are single moms, but many of you are moms who take care of the home. That is your work. You do that to the glory and honor of the Lord. Let's make our ministry at work important. Let's make our, our calling important. Let's make sure that whatever we're doing, we're doing for the honor and glory of God. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning.